Well, good morning. It's nice to see all of you. If you have a Bible, would you please join me in John 17? And if you do not have a Bible, we'd love to get one in your laps. Raise your hand, and we'll get one to you very soon. Please feel free to keep this Bible. Uh, if you don't have one, we'd like to give it away or leave it on the seat uh, when you leave this morning. Uh, before we jump into the text, just he's not in here, but uh, I just want to let you know and excited about Jeff Newman being nominated as a new elder uh, here at FCF. So praise the Lord for the gift of Jeff. <laughs> I'd like, he sits over there where Mark Muse sits. Just pretend Mark's beard is Jeff. You're welcome, Mark. Um, so we're continuing to follow Jesus together in the Gospel of John. And if you're with me in John 17, we are in Jesus' famous high priestly prayer. If you put a finger on verse 13 to the end of verse 19, this is our section this morning. But it's actually going to take us two weeks to go through it. So today is part one. Lord willing, next week is part two. And as you take notes, the subtitle this morning is Live Sanctified. So I'm going to read verses 13 and 19, but our focus is the last three verses, 17, 18, and 19. So let me read the word, and then I'll pray, and we will look to the Lord this morning. Jesus, right in the middle of his prayer, says, But now I am coming to you, and these things that I speak in the world so that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. Well, this is, this is Christ's prayer. Let's, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, Jesus has, has just prayed that you would sanctify not just the apostles, but all believers in your truth. Jesus has sent us into the world, and Jesus has said that he consecrates himself. Lord, the, the words are simple, and yet the understanding of what Jesus is praying and its impact on our lives is, is complex and infinitely deep. And so we ask your spirit this morning to do all the work that is necessary so that your word doesn't return void, but accomplishes all of your purposes. And we pray, Lord, that your purpose this morning would be to bring those from death to life and darkness to light, to give us understanding according to your word, and to further craft us into the image of Jesus, not just personally, but corporately as a body. So, Lord, please do that with your word and more this morning. To that end, Lord, would you let the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Everyone is looking for a way to live. Now, you could go to any person and have that conversation, young or old, and, and a person may or may not be as aware of that reality, but they are nonetheless looking for a way to live. What I mean is some organizing philosophy, some philosopher, some, some way to understand why the world is, how the world is, what needs to happen with the world, how why I am and what needs to happen with my life, some, some way to organize the guiding principles of our life. Some people look within at their feelings. Some people are on a quest or a search that uh, every month, every year brings them to a new guru, a new philosopher, a new politician, a new idea. Other people just coast along, don't even think about it. But they don't realize that they have gained a culture from their upbringing, gained a culture from 
from the world in which they traffic. Everyone is looking for a way to live. And right now, this is a unique inflection point in our culture with the emasculation of masculinity. Young men don't know what it means to be a man and don't know how to grow as a man. And so we've seen the rise of the Jordan Petersons and the Andrew Tates, the Joe Rogans, the Jocko Willinks, and more. Young men especially, but all people included, young women too, but in this case, young men especially are turning to find organizing ways to what it means to be a man and how to live in the world and more. And we can say the same thing for a woman, for all people. So there's a question in there. Where do you look? Where do you look? Each of us has been shaped and is being shaped by ideas and concepts and people. In my late high school years and early college years, uh, as the Father was beginning to draw me to Jesus, um, there was a, uh, a, a sort of spirituality that I had. And I was dabbling in, looking into Zen and uh, Eastern religions and Greco-Roman philosophers and more, and basically trying to look for the answers I didn't know I was looking for because I had the wrong questions until I met Jesus. Where do you look? Where have you looked? How's that shaped you? And where are you looking now? You see, in John 17, in this text this morning, our great high priest Jesus prays and asks the Father to devote us and build us by his truth, the Bible. Jesus is praying to the exclusion of all other philosophies and philosophers and ideologies of the world and exclusively asking the Father to do something to his people, and that is sanctify us in his word. And so this morning, Jesus prays a stark contrast between the truth of the Bible and the falseness of the world and the contrast of the truth of the Bible and the contradictory and false word of the world's systems. He says that and more. So if you take notes this morning, uh, the sermon is just one point. And it's this. Live sanctified by Christ's sacrifice and in the Father's truth. But there's four sub-points. And here they are. What does Jesus mean by sanctify? What has to happen to us to be sanctified? How does the Father sanctify us? And what is our role, if any, in sanctification? Because as I mentioned a moment ago, our focus is the last three verses, 17, 18, and 19. And you may have heard Jesus use those words sanctify and consecrate, and those are big, fancy Bible words. His words are simple, but they're infinitely deep. So what is going on. So let's jump right in this morning where Jesus' aim in our text is that we would live sanctified by Christ's sacrifice and in the Father's truth. Let me set the word before us one more time before we ask the question, what does it mean when Jesus says sanctify them? So look at verse 15. We'll back up. You get a running start. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And here it is. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself so that they also may be sanctified in the truth. So the first question then is what in the world is Jesus talking about? What does Jesus mean when he says those three times, sanctify in verse 17, consecrate in verse 19, and again sanctify again in verse 19? What does Jesus mean by sanctify? Let me begin with an illustration to help make sense of what's going on here. And the illustration is my old college roommate, Dave Bennett, who we called Benatar. If you meant him, you would uh, know that he loved Jesus. 
But if you met him, you would also learn that he loved the Dodgers. He wore Dodger blue. He spoke Dodger blue. He breathed Dodger blue. And he bled Dodger blue. He knew the history of the Dodgers. He knew the stats of the Dodgers. He had the cards of the Dodgers. He knew the schedule of the Dodgers. He thought he was a Dodger. When we played adult slow pitch softball, we all had one uniform and he wore a Dodgers uniform. <laughs> all you had to do was look at him and you know to whom he was identified, the Dodgers. And if you talked to him, you knew that Dave was sanctified by the Dodgers. Do you see that image in your mind? So now let's bring it forward to the biblical reality. You see, when Jesus here uses these words sanctify and consecrate, and, and here's another detail that's kind of confusing. If you had your Greek New Testament open, you would see that the Greek word behind sanctify and consecrate is the same word. Our English translators are just trying to bring some English nuance to what's going on there, and yet the word consecrate and sanctify are kind of hard to nuance. So what's going on? These words, the Greek word behind them, is part of the holiness word group. What does that mean? It means that you could just as easily translate verse 17 when he says, sanctify them, you can translate it, holify them. But that doesn't work in English, so we have to use a different word. Jesus is praying to the Father to make Jesus' people to make us holy. That's what he is saying when he says sanctify them, make them holy. So what is Jesus talking about when he says that he consecrates himself, he sanctifies himself? What does it mean that to be sanctified? You have the illustration of Dodger Blue. But in the Bible, when we talk about making someone holy, the word holy is basically a description of God. It's like an attribute of God himself. When you use the word holy for God, it's referring to who God is in the perfections of himself. Because God alone is the eternal, entirely other, uncreated creator. All-powerful, all-wise, all-knowing, the all-good God of the gospel. It's why the angels before his throne cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So there it's an adjective. But when Jesus prays it, he's using it as a verb. And so we don't say holyify, you say sanctify. But with God, it's a description or an attribute of God, as it were, where the angels cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We refer to God, the Holy Spirit. Back up in verse 11 in our text, Jesus referred to the Father as the Holy Father. And the title throughout, uh, of Jesus throughout the New Testament is Holy One. And so you might remember from a few weeks ago, when we were looking at God's glory, we define God's glory as His holiness seen and felt. His holiness experienced by the observer. That's what holy means. And remember, this word sanctify is the same word as holify. Clear? Okay, but whenever the word is used of a person or a thing, it carries a different sense. Whenever the word holy or sanctify or consecrate is used of a person or thing, it carries the idea of that person or that thing being set apart and devoted to sacred duty to God, being reserved for God, dedicated to God. It means that that person or that thing is now uniquely defined by God. So you read the OT and you have the tabernacle tent or you have the temple, and you'll see that even the silverware used in the sacrifices, in the bowls and basins used to offer incense and more, they were called holy. Because there wasn't something special in and of themselves necessarily, but it's what they were for. They were for the Lord. They were for worshiping the Lord. And so they were holy in their dedication to Him. Because of their closeness to the Lord, the holiness of the Lord kind of 
overshadowed them, so to speak. So if you were to read about the high priest, uh, he didn't wear Dodger blue, but if you looked at him, he had his ornate vestments, and he wore a turban that had a crown on it that said, holiness to the Lord on it. And when you saw that guy walking around, you knew that there was something unique about him. He was for something, namely the Lord and, and worshiping the Lord and more. And so Jesus here, Jesus is asking God to do something to us, to sanctify us, to make us like that priest, to make us like that utensil, or the silly example of my college roommate, where we are dedicated, known for, and devoted to the Lord. But also, there's uh, moral overtones to this. Morality, meaning, meaning, well, D.A. Carson, the commentator, he says it this way. If someone is set apart for God and for God's purposes, that person will, not, will, that person will do only what God wants and hate all that God hates. That is the essence of what it means to be holy as God is holy. Uh, in the same way, that the moon does not generate its own light, but merely reflects the sun to give light, we are to be like moons or mirrors that reflect the glory or rather the holiness of God in our lives. We are supposed to be sanctified, uh, holified. In fact, do you know what one of the leading, if not the main title of Christians is in the New Testament? Saints. Saints. And that word saint is simply related to, you can kind of hear it, saint and sanctify. Sanctify means to saintify. And that word saint is just another uh, um, grammatical form of the word holy. If you are a Christian, you are a holy one. It is not true that to be a saint is a person who has performed post-mortem miracles as Catholicism or Orthodoxy teaches. That's fake news. It's made up. All Christians are holy ones. God calls us saints because we have been dedicated and devoted to God. And for us to be holy... That's what Jesus prays for here. So what is God up to in your life right now? If you were to sit and look back and just survey your last week with the good things and the difficult things and the relational troubles and the dashed dreams and all the struggles and the fighting against sin, what is God up to in this last week? God is using all of those things to answer Jesus' prayer in your life to sanctify you. Another way of thinking about sanctification is found in Romans 8, where God is crafting us, molding us further into the image of Jesus. That's what sanctification does. And so for us to be holy is what Jesus prays for. That's what God is up to in your life. To be set apart to God and for God, to be devoted to his purposes, to be his character on display we're to be that moon we're to be that mirror we're to be his image and serve his purposes in the world that is what jesus is praying for that's what it means when jesus says father sanctify them so then the second question point number two then is what has to happen for that to happen what has to happen in order for the lord to answer jesus's prayer if verse 17, if Jesus prays, Father, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Verse 19 reveals that 19 has to happen before 17 can happen so that 18 can happen. The, the way that this is spoken is difficult for our minds in part because it's very Hebraic way of thinking. Um, and the structure of the, of the language is a little bit different for us. It's, it's actually verse 19 is first, so that 17 happens to make 18 happen. So 
What has to happen for the Father to sanctify us? Verse 19. Here's what Jesus says. And for their sake, I consecrate the same word in Greek. I consecrate myself so that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Can you see the connection? First, Jesus will consecrate himself, whatever that means. And Jesus consecrating himself is the so that we can be sanctified. And that means that verse 17 happens, Father, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. What does it mean then for Jesus to consecrate himself? Isn't he the Holy One already? Yes. Isn't he perfectly holy and without sin? 100%. So then what is he speaking of here when he says that he consecrates himself? He is using priestly language. We can't lose sight of the fact that Jesus uh, bears three offices. He is priest, prophet, and king. And what did priests do? They were consecrated for their ministry that the Lord gave them in the Old Testament, which was they were consecrated, a, a, an elaborate ceremony filled with prayers and sacrifices, pouring oil on their heads, certain clothes. They were consecrated, devoted to the Lord. They were holified so that they could offer sacrifices on behalf of the people to the Lord. This is Jesus's high priestly prayer. Read the book of Hebrews. Jesus is the eternal high priest. He is without sin. He does not need to offer sacrifices for his own sins as Aaron and his sons did. No, Jesus is sinless. So when Jesus says that he consecrates himself, he is speaking as our high priest. Okay, but what does that mean for him to consecrate himself? That means he is the only priest who is authorized by God to offer the only sacrifice there is to take away all of our sins, past, present, and future. The argument in the book of Hebrews is that the blood of bulls and goats can't take away our sins. It just temporarily covers our sins, but you need repeated sacrifices day after day and year after year. For Jesus to consecrate himself, he's going to be the priest who alone can offer the sacrifice. And here's the thing. He is the sacrifice. So when Jesus goes to the cross, and, 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 and that's the next page, that's the next chapters here in John, when Jesus goes to the cross, he is our mediator, he is our high priest, who alone offers the sacrifice of himself. And when he dies as the sinless one, bearing our sins and is buried for three days. And then when he rises three days later, when he rises, he shows and reveals the Father accepted his sacrifice. And it's because Jesus died for your sins, past, present, and future, all of them, and he rose if he was accepted. If he didn't rise from the grave... The argument of 1 Corinthians 15 is that we of all people in all the world are the most to be pitied because we walk around thinking that we're forgiven with God and we're not if Jesus is not raised. But guess what? Easter's coming. Resurrection Sunday happens. Well, actually, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. That's why we gather on the Lord's Day. So when Jesus says, I consecrate myself, the first thing to happen is that Jesus has to die so you can have life. Jesus has to go into the darkness of the grave so that you can have the light of his life. Jesus has to take the lies of the world, as it were, and the world system that hates his word, right? Look back. Look at, just peek ahead and look at verses, verses 13 and 14 again. This is a look to next week. I am coming to you, these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Look at verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world. The world hates Christ and Christians because we have God's word. 
because of the word of the Father. And so when Jesus died on the cross, the world thought it was passing judgment on Jesus truthfully when it was false. And so when I asked in the beginning then about the organizing idea of what philosopher as it were to follow, you follow Jesus because Jesus is exclusive. He alone makes the way forward for us. So Jesus is speaking then about consecrating himself. He is saying that he is going to finish the gospel mission the Father gave him. The apex of which was his death, three-day burial, and resurrection. The chain of events here is that Jesus completes his mission in verse 19, dies and rises, so that now the Father can do something to us. And it took Jesus' death and resurrection to do that. But before we can go back to verse 17, before we go, uh, we have to ask this question, how will the Father sanctify us? Look again at verse 17. So because Jesus is the high priest, because he's the perfect sacrifice, because he died and rose, verse 17 can happen and is happening. Jesus prays, sanctify them, right? Devote them, uh, make them holy. In the truth, your word is truth. How does the Father sanctify you? What is the Father up to in your life with all its twists and turns? Do you see the connection? The means by which the Father will sanctify us is the truth. Not in the abstract, but it says your word is truth. In other words, sanctify them in your scriptures. Sanctify them in your Bible your fullness of your word. Jesus, the gospel of John is revealed to us, Jesus is God's word made flesh. And in his ministry of all of these chapters, Jesus has said many times that he only speaks the words the Father gave him to speak. And now, so, so Jesus was not only the word made flesh, he was filled with the word and spoke the word. And by the way, what happens when God speaks in, for example, Genesis 1-1? Stuff is created. Things that did not exist, exist. That's what happens when God speaks. Jesus is God's word made flesh, and his, in his ministry, he spoke the words of the Father. Now Jesus prepares to go to the cross and rise, and Jesus asks the Father to take the very word that Jesus was set apart for, his mission to proclaim and perform the word. Now Jesus says, Father, take that word that you gave me and give it to them and make them holy. Sanctify them. Again, that commentator D.A. Carson is helpful. It's a long quote, but listen to what he says here about what Jesus prays. The Father will immerse, baptize, dip. The Father will immerse Jesus' followers in the revelation of himself in his son. He will sanctify them by sending the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, to guide them in all truth. Jesus' followers will be set apart from the world, reserved for God's service, insofar as they think and live in conformity with the truth. The word of revelation supremely mediated through Jesus who is the truth, the revelation that is now embodied in the pages of the Bible. In practical terms, no one can be sanctified or set apart for the Lord's use without learning to think God's thoughts after him, without learning to live in conformity with the word he's graciously given. By contrast, the heart of worldliness of what makes the world the world is a fundamental suppression of the truth and denial of the truth and profound rejection of God's gracious word, which is the self-disclosure in Christ. Listen. The death, 
and resurrection of the word made flesh was so that we might live the word in our flesh. Let me say that again. The death and resurrection of the word made flesh was so that we now might live the word in our flesh. We have a book. And this book is God's verbal presence. If, if you could put skin and bone on this book, Jesus would be standing here. And it's this book, what we're asking this question in this, in this third point is, is how will the Father sanctify us? How will your life be transformed to be dedicated to the Father, directed to the Father, devoted to the Father? How, how will your thinking move from darkness to light and, and from, um, from death to life? It's the Word of God. Your life might be the only Bible someone ever reads. That's what Jesus is asking for. That just as Jesus spoke God's truth and was filled with the word, the same would be characteristic of us. He knows that we're not perfect. It's part of his plan. But we're to be wholehearted. So, so how, how, how does God sanctify us? We do we, the truth, okay. But, for example, Romans 1.16. Listen to this. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Meaning, your salvation and the power of your salvation is not rooted in you at all. The power of God's salvation is the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, this message we preach of Jesus the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So, so God's sanctification of us begins with a moment in time. It's puncticular. A moment in time in which we go from death to life and now you're forever saved. But then there's a line that's drawn and that's that line of sanctification. God's plan is that there'd be a moment that we're justified the entire Christian life is one of being sanctified until the Spirit, until Jesus brings us home and we are finally glorified. Our sanctification begins with salvation, but it doesn't end there. It's a, it's, it's a process, the sanctification is. So Romans 10.17. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Notice where faith comes from. You do not conjure up or cultivate faith in your heart. It says faith is outside of us. It comes to us virally. Faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. The gospel, when it's heard, transmits faith. We believe and we're saved. So the question before us is this. Okay, Jesus prays for us to be sanctified. The Father's going to sanctify us with the word. Okay, but what does that actually look like? How does that actually happen? It's Romans 10, 17. We as people of the word need to be people who are hearers of the word. You don't just get faith once. The entire Christian life is a life of faith. So maybe you find yourself dull in your love for Jesus. Maybe you find that there's certain species of sin that are entangling you and, and pulling you down. Maybe you're, you're, you're doubting Jesus more, but you'll see that there's a connection that maybe there's less fruit of the Spirit in your life, less of the James heavenly wisdom that he tells us to have. Maybe you see that everything is less dim or dull, and I want to suggest to you it's because your faith is weak. Remember what Jesus says when he rebukes to the disciples, O oh, you of little faith? The antidote to weak faith is more hearing of the word of Christ. It's not just for salvation, it's also for sanctification. 
So how does the Father sanctify you? How does this actually happen? Well, it's happening right now. It's right now because we are a people devoted to our Savior. We have assembled, we've congregated, we've churched together so that we could hear the word sung and prayed, read and preached. And when this happens, week in, week out, often seeming in just mundane ways, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and puts it in a child of God to make them more like the Son of God, Jesus. Does that make sense? It's why Peter, at the end of his second epistle, says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This passage and these passages reveal, when Jesus prays, Father, sanctify them, it reveals that the Word of God is not just effective one time in your life, but at all times in our life. God's Word is not just for you getting saved, it's for you growing in that salvation. You never stop needing the Word of God. Read it a thousand times, and you will never have read it enough. The Spirit of God is responsible to take the word that he inspired and illuminate it for us and make sure that God's word does not return void or empty, but accomplishes everything that God wants. What does Jesus say in Matthew 4.4? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. In the same way that you become malnourished and eventually die for not eating food, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy, then the same way that if you are not daily feasting upon God's word, you are malnourishing your soul. And the thing is, what makes it so dangerous is that it's a slow, often slow and subtle self-swindling that you don't need the word. But in a similar way that uh, we need food, we need God's word. What that means is you, you might be considering Jesus this morning. You're not yet a Christian. You're where I was when I was uh, in my fourth year of college. And, and, and maybe you were like me where you were looking for different philosophies and philosophers. Friend, what, what I want you to see here is that Jesus, you heard earlier, is that priest. And he offered a sacrifice of himself for us and for our sins. But also understand that the truth that you don't even know that you're looking for is right here and you're hearing it now. Come to Jesus. There's no world system that can save you. There's no philosopher or, or politician. There's no guru. There's no one. Only Jesus and Jesus alone claims exclusivity that he himself is the truth. And the Bible is the truth. So let me, let me just give you a pro tip. Just start here. Start here and prove this book wrong. And then if you do, then go look and shop somewhere else. But look to Jesus. Jesus is the truth, as is his word. But what this means for us, dear Christian, is that how does the Father sanctify us? Well, it's with the Bible. That means that we should expect his word to shape us. We should expect his word to change us. Sometimes it's radical. It's that moment of conviction. You think I've been reading your emails, and then I say something. I don't know. It's the Lord who convicts us. He convicts us, and he changes us, but so often, it's the glacial pace of mundane faithfulness to place yourself under the preaching of the word of God and to be there and to get proper nutrition for your soul, which leads to the fourth and final point, what is our part in the Father's sanctification of us? Now, we're just focused on these three verses, 17, 18, and 19. But you can see in your Bible, especially if your Bible's red letter, it's just one big discourse, one big prayer of Jesus. That's one 
peace. And so our part, there is no part in verses 17 and 18, uh, 18 and 19. This is, this is Jesus asking the Father to do something for us because Jesus did something for us, lived, died, and rose. Our part we saw last week in verse 6. So I need you to glance up there. Do you, do you remember last week I used the illustration of the gospel coin? I used a couple different metaphors. I talked about there's the behind-the-scenes director's commentary that explains how the gospel works. And then there's our center stage experience of the gospel. I also talked about a coin that on one side of the coin is God's election of us before the foundation of the world. The other side of the coin last week was God's preservation of us. That if he saves us, he will bring us home. We will never lose our salvation. And in the thin middle of that coin, that ever so thin middle, is our part. Perseverance. We actually have to get up and run the race without quitting. And Jesus describes that in verse 6 as keeping God's word. So let's make some connections then. The Father, Jesus asks the Father to sanctify us with the Bible. And our part is to keep the Bible, to guard it, to prize it, to treasure it, to love it, to savor it, to read it, to have word-based relationships, to want other people to tell us Bible and to tell Bible to others, to text each other uh, verses, to write verses on cards and mail them to each other, whatever it is, to just be Bible people. The connection here is that we are to be full of the word. When I was praying and thinking and writing the sermon, it brought to mind Ezekiel chapter 2, the end of the chapter and into the beginning of chapter 3. It's a prophet, so you know it's going to be weird. Listen to this. But you, son of man, the Lord speaking to Ezekiel, but you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. What's the Lord going to give to Ezekiel to eat? And when I looked, and behold, a, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and the back. And there were written on it words of lamentation, mourning, and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me this scroll to eat, and he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you, and fill it with your stomach. Fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. Did that happen? <laughs> Probably. So you know what the application is, right, when you go home? Grab that jar of honey, put it on this bad boy, and eat it. <laughs> How amazing is that image? So he maybe literally had to do it. This is figurative language. Do not go home and physically eat your Bible. I don't know, maybe you should. But the idea, I think, is pretty clear. It's like wearing the Dodger blue. Or old Spurgeon, I love how he said it. If you get cut, you bleed Bible. Th that's the portrait. If you, uh, here's an assignment for you. Please do this. Please read Psalm 119 this week. And, and, and listen to the psalmist describe just the sheer wonder, joy, and affection and happiness that the believer has with the word of God. So Ezekiel ate the scroll and it was sweet as honey. That connects to Psalm 19, which says that your word is sweeter, to honey, sweeter than honey to my lips. So the portrait of our part of keeping the word, John 17, 6, here I'm connecting with Ezekiel as we eat the Bible. Romans 12. In one sense, when Paul writes Romans 12, 1 and 2, it's 
it's a, it's a parallel idea to John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Okay, how, how do we do that? Okay, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And when he says your bodies, he's talking about all of your life, your work, your recreation, your relating, your friendships, and more. All that is you and your existence in this world, by the tender mercies of God, present all that you are as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is, which is your spiritual worship. How do we do that? Verse 2, do not be patterned after, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, sanctified in the word. Sanctified in the word, transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And here's something remarkable to consider when Paul writes that in Romans. They didn't have, every single one of them, a Bible in their laps. That didn't start happening until after the printing press. So when the mind transformation and the renewal of the word and, and Jesus praying for our sanctification with the word, how does that happen? It's, I just said, happening now. When we are blood-bought saints filled with God's Holy Spirit, we love his word. Yes, our, our taste for it and our desire for it ebbs and flows. There's things that are hard to understand it's a big and strange book. But at the end of the day, believers love the word. That's why the, Psalm 119 tells us that we rejoice at his word like one who finds great treasure. And when Paul said in Romans to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and if everyone didn't have their own Bible to have their daily devotions, they couldn't turn on their ESV app and listen to Kristen Getty with her amazing Irish accent read to you the Psalms. You should absolutely do that. It's great. It meant that the church gathered to hear the word read, to hear the word prayed, to sing the word together, to sit under it preached so that the Spirit of God would take the word of God to shape the people of God. And so when Jesus prays that the Father would sanctify us with the scriptures, with the truth, what this means then is that you as a Christian don't move on from the gospel. You move deeper into it. The gospel is not just the entry doorway into Christianity. It is Christianity. You don't graduate from it. You move deeper into it. It takes the whole Bible to tell the whole gospel to make a whole Christian to build a whole church. And God designed the gospel to make and shape disciples of Jesus. And the whole story is the whole story of the gospel. And so our task is to be submitted to and want to savor the whole message of Jesus, all the twists and turns and stories and all that just unfolds across redemptive history till we get to the point of the cross and the empty tomb and waiting for his return it's that message and more that we daily preach to ourselves, rehearse to ourselves, speak to one another. So our part is simply to feast, to feast on God's word as you go about your daily life with your daily responsibilities. And, and, and what does that look like practically? I just leave us with Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6 verses 5 through 9. Here's what it could look like practically for you tomorrow. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you go to bed, and when you get up. You shall bind the word as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write the word on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's God's prescription of what it ought to look like in our lives. Jesus-centered, 
word-filled, Bible-bleeding lives that help each other know and follow Jesus. We are, the church is, an echo chamber of the gospel. And it's meant to reverberate from all of us. When some of us become those gospel amnesiacs and begin to to forget and we're entangled in sin and we just need the loving grace and help of a brother or sister to to remind us, to help us rehearse that gospel, to bring us out to, to Jesus and more. Church, let's keep the course of keeping the word. Let's do our part as it were, as the Father answers this prayer by causing us to be under his word treasuring his word of grace, loving his word of grace, speaking his word of grace, praying his word of grace, because we hold and have the word of the Father right here. And so here's Jesus' aim. As he prepares to leave, this prayer is for you. This reveals what God is up to in your life. It shows that maybe this last week you spent more time not eating God's word. And therefore, this reminder is how savory his word is and to spend time in it and with it with one another. So church, prize the Bible with your life. Keep it with your heart. Follow it with your feet and the joy of your soul. The central aim of God for your life and our life and our mission together is to be a gospel people. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, it takes the power of your spirit to accomplish these purposes. So, Lord, all we ask is, Lord, we want to be sanctified. Make us sanctified. We want to be dedicated to your truth. We want to be hungry for your truth. We want to rejoice at it and more. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to please do that and more in our lives so that we, as individuals and as a family, would help each other Know and follow Jesus so that, Father, you'd be glorified in the fulfillment of this prayer. We pray this in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Friends, let's stand to sing this song. And then Elder Bo will come up and lead us to the Lord's table in a moment.